It's time for truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for truth exists to glorify God through the edification of his saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Thank you once again for joining us on this episode of the podcast. We are glad that you have joined us today, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening. We want to thank you for making us part of your day. Uh, Another great opportunity to be together in studio. Looking forward to this episode and a couple of episodes uh, that uh, we're going to be bringing to you. And we'll explain that here in uh, just a few moments with our guest in studio uh, before we get started in that, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, doing great. We, uh, You and I were just here at this house. We were celebrating the 4th of July, and there was lots of fireworks going off uh, when we were here last, and I expect the same as we go through this elder exam. It should be a, a great time. Um, we're blessed to be at this point in our church to be considering elder candidates, and uh, we want this to be joyful, but also serious. So, Absolutely. You know. Well, this is a uh, a great opportunity in the life of our church, and you know, as we uh, thought about these things, and as we've been moving forward in this um, in this process of working through elder candidacy and examination, uh, we thought that there would be a valuable way for us to get that detail and to put all of this process um, kind of out in the open and make it really public for our people. Obviously, if it's in the podcast, it's it's available for more than just the people of TFBC. But the the what we thought was valuable was, of course, being able to examine and communicate uh, publicly with uh, those our elder candidates so that our, our people in our church can can hear from them and, and see them interact and all those types of things. But w- when you don't have a church building and, and a number of different issues, that can be a, a scheduling challenge and so forth. And we just realized there was just value in being able to just do this type of interview in a controlled environment with the recording capabilities that we have to then uh, publicize that. And, you know, we want to just emphasize the desire that we have for our people to be engaged with the process. It's not just simply about, you know, hearing the name of a candidate and then showing up at some point down the road and uh, and then just put, putting up a hand for yes or, or no, uh, but to actually be engaged in the process, to, to listen, to discern and to get to know. And uh, and so this, we thought this was a great way to do that. And it put, just gives us some transparency to the process that we're about. So just to give you a heads up as to uh, what we've done so far in the process is um, we have um, we have already done the kind of the personal theology of uh, our candidates. We have two candidates, Brett Kendall and uh, Kelly Shoemaker. We have Brett in the studio today. And uh, so we've received from them their um, their uh, answers, I guess, to the, kind of the systematic I theology. Call it questions. systematic, yeah. yeah. That's the best description of it, yeah. Right. So we we have, and, and a lot of that is um, is pretty basic uh, from what you would expect. You know, how do you understand the inerrancy of Scripture? You know, who is Christ? All, all those types of of things that you would uh, expect, and and just to hear 
those answers and uh and we're we're happy to have received those we've also sat down and uh had interviews with the candidates and their wives to go over the elder, the elder qualifications as described in the scripture and go line by line and and uh, character quality by character quality and talked through those and and worked through that process with them and what we're doing today and what we're putting out in uh, the in the public is really our examination in terms of questions that bring about the systematic theology into a practical theology orthopraxy exactly right right uh, this is where um, this is where the wisdom and the shepherding capabilities of an elder are are really um, rubber and road type of things where you know, what, one thing we've we've noticed over the years is that um, one of the challenges with Big Eva is they all have very good orthodox uh, doctrinal statements in their church. The challenge then, though, becomes well, how does that actually work itself out? And what you find is often there's disappointment in a lot of uh, churches that have fine doctrinal statements, but that's actually not when when it, where it really gets practical. And and so we want to really talk about the application of sound doctrine into uh, various areas. And we've certainly learned this, especially in the last few years following COVID. So you'll, you'll hear some of those questions related to things like that. So this is a practical theology examination where we ask questions and we hear from our candidate. And so today I, we welcome Brett Kendall into the studio as our uh, TFBC elder candidate. So Brett, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, we uh, what we're going to do is we're as we get started, we're going to just be asking questions that uh, we, uh, Jim and I, have developed um, over the last uh, couple of months. And uh, we're just going to take turns kind of just answering, or excuse me, asking a few different questions. And and then we'll just hear from Brett, and he will uh, explain himself, his reasoning, uh, his answers to these questions, and uh, and we're looking forward to just this type of, of interaction. Yeah, and when we talk about the orthopraxy, we talked about how do we actually practice what we believe. Um, you know, let's not kid ourselves that we have been shaped by the events that occurred in history, as well as what's happened to us most recently with COVID. And so you'll see a lot of themes in, in our questions that are relevant. And we should do that. That's part of being practical with, with what we believe is taking things as they're coming at us and applying to them. And I think that's really what you and I talk about as a church is, is how do we live out our sanctification, this ongoing process, engaging with the world, yet not being of the world. And, and that's really important when it comes to uh, a shepherd and a leader in right. the church, that uh, they want to see uh, how the Lord has brought uh, him, just a man, just like all of us, in the sanctification process to equip and to uh, and, and to develop into one of Christ's under shepherds. And uh, so we won't get into just a, a quick heads up. Uh, Brett is giving his uh, personal testimony uh, on uh, Sunday night, the 9th. And so uh, depending on when this uh, drops, uh, that opportunity to hear Brett's testimony and his background and so forth uh, is... Uh, will probably be in the past, but that that is also done publicly, and that's done uh, in our Sunday evening service. And so um, we're, we're going to dispense on the on the background. Brett is a man with uh, he's a churchman. He's he's been around the church and, and been in the church and been in leadership before. So some of that may come out in that testimony time. This is really uh, asking him practical theology questions, as we said. So we'll uh, just begin here, and we'll, we'll just. Uh, uh, go one at a time. Uh, to start off with Brett, um, 
what is your view broadly of the social justice and cultural Marxism movement in our country, which of course also has an effect on the church and, and its inroads there? Would you describe your understanding of the cultural Marxism strategy and, and your understanding of, of the social justice movement? Yeah, the, the term social justice is really a more palatable um, term for socialism or, or communism. It sounds good. Um, justice is a good thing. We, we, we like justice, but when you add a modifier to it, social justice, it changes it a little bit, um, about what it's talking about. And essentially at the core of social justice is taking from somebody else and giving it to somebody else. Um, and that, that's what it's all about. And, and to, to the result of that is to transform all of society. Um, you know, whether it's in concrete ways such as education, um, or economics, it is, the goal is to transform, um, all of society and their strategy really is, um, is really a long game. Um, you know, they're the, the, the chiefs of incrementalism. That's how they, that, that's how they achieve things. And, you know, this kind of thing has happened with different terms probably in America for the past 100, 150 years. Um, and then, you know, obviously in worldwide um, as well. So they don't really care that it's immediate. Um, that's obviously a very long, uh, long game for them. And, and their goal is to keep at it, you know, whether it takes, you know, five, 10, 100 more years, they, they don't care as long as it's um, achieved at some point, as long as it's um, transformative and kind of, kind of some concrete areas of their strategy is they, you know, they use crisis. Um, I think it was, um, somebody in the Obama administration said, don't let a crisis go to waste. And the Sololinsky strategy. Yeah. Right? I'm Emmanuel. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's one of their, their key, uh, strategies is, um, you know, having a solution to a crisis, whatever, whatever the crisis is. And one of their other strategies is centralization, um, whether that's in, you know, public schools, government schools, um, or welfare, or whatever it is, you see this trend toward, toward centralizing as much as, as much as possible. Um, so that, that's some of their, that's some of their key, their key attributes. Good. Uh, apparently Obama meant what he said, right? A, a radical transformation. Yep. That, that's the, that was the big idea. Yep. Yeah. And he achieved it by, you know, a lot. So. Okay. Good. Um, Jim. Yeah. So, so given that, given that that is their strategy, this very long strategy, what would the church's response to that? And try to back that up scripturally. Like, well, how would you, how would you position these different terms that they use and how we would respond to that scripturally? So you already said redistribution. You already talked about reparations is built into that. Um, I would even say welfare is, is a topic on the table. You know, what about a person? Shouldn't we take care of people? Yeah, we should take care of people. But I think the 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 number one thing that um, the church should um, to to do to combat this, um, the number one thing that Christians should do is in uh, Ephesians 6, 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And he, skipping down to verse 13, he says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And this is, this is pr the primary key thing that all Christians should do, and the church should 
um, proclaim is that we have to be strong with the Lord. I mean, that's the number one thing that we can do to combat this, um, this, uh, this uh, onslaught that, you know, the cultural Marxism, Marxists are trying to do. Um, and I think, you know, specific key things um, in terms of, you know, sexuality, the big thing is that they're, you know, um, pr uh, promoting gay rights and, and they've done so with uh, gay marriage and things like that. And the LGBTQ agenda um, is to uh, really emphasize the proper biblical doctrines regarding uh, regarding sexuality, regarding gender, um, that you don't, you know, you don't get to pick your gender. It was, it was determined by God for that kind of gender, um, that you have, um, at birth. And, and, you know, the other thing about racism, racism, that's the big thing, um, now is look at Genesis, um, you know, Genesis one and two about creation, you know, God didn't create multiple races. He created one race, the human race. Um, so we really need to understand, um, that we're one, um, one race. Yeah. Granted there are various people groups or various ethnicities, and we need to take that into account as well, but we need to understand fundamentally that there is one human race, that we're all one human race. And there's no indication, um, that we should give preference to, um, to a particular ethnicity, um, over another ethnicity in the scriptures. So, well, that would be partiality. Yes. Right. <laughs> and partiality on a, on a, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the immutable characteristic, right? You can't change your, a leper can't change his spots and uh, neither can you change your skin color, uh, to discriminate, uh, one way or, or another is, uh, would be uh, the sin of partiality. Right. Good. Um, do you believe that systemic racism is a problem in our country? And if so, how so? And if not, uh, how would you defend your, your answer? No, I, I, I don't think that systemic racism is a problem. Obviously, there's an issue um, with, uh, uh, you know, racism with the KKK and things like that. And there was, you know, um, outworkings of, of slavery in the Civil War and, and things that we can't, um, we can't get away from, but I don't think there's systemic racism. Um, what I mean by that is that the systems are preferential to a particular ethnicity. Um, on a whole, the systems are not preferential to a particular, um, ethnicity. And, and one of the key, um, uh, evidences that that is not the case is, come on, we elected a black president, like, if we had systemic racism, that would not have happened. Um, you know, that would not have happened. So I think we have to keep that in mind um, that that we did that, yeah. that our country did that. And I I, I, I I get what you're saying as well. I, I think that uh, it's the systemic racism isn't what it's made out to be. However, uh, I would suggest that there is systemic racism. It's just um, it's it's. It's just like the way it often is with the left. Um, it's just opposite of what they of what they say, right? So for them, you know, capitalism and you know, free markets, those are racist. Math is racist and different things like that. Um, but actually, I, I do think that there are uh, systemic issues such as the welfare state that that and and even 
even just the idea of Planned Parenthood and abortion was systemically racist in terms of its effect, not uh, and in terms of even sometimes of the um, uh, of, of yeah the effect, the outcomes and and the target of of those people. That welfare, for instance, it it, it definitely keeps the um, the minorities uh, on the plantation and uh, and and dependent upon the government in that way. But it's the it's the government, it's the it's people in the government, and it's especially the the Democrats who have uh, who have been the the race mongers and so forth. Anyway, I don't want to get into it too much. But no, and it's built, <laughs> it's built into our foster care rules. It's built into our adoption process. All of these things are fundamentally systemic that lead to oppression of a class. Yeah, and that's. I believe that's that's the evil intention of, you know, of that worldview. But I, so. I, overall, Brett, I'm 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 in agreement with what you're saying. I I think the what what's been propagated as the systemic racism that's been communicated isn't what they make it out to be. It's it's actually, um, it, it's those pointing the finger of systemic racism that that are actually have been engaged in more systemic issues yeah. that are not the issues that they're that they're that they're claiming they are. Anyway, I hope. no. And now you brought up the KKK, so let's transition into that. Is there what's your understanding of white supremacy today, given your view on racism and, and the way that that looks, but what, what does whiteness look like today and what problem does that pose or is there a problem? Well, so the, you know, the white supremacist said, uh, the, uh, president Biden said that white supremacist is the number one issue that we're, that we're facing today. And, and my, my response to that is, um, you know, that is the, primary concern is about your skin color. Um, and that means that if you're white, that you're necessarily de facto supreme over all non-whites. Um, and whiteness is really the attitude of supremacy. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know, that, that's my understanding of, of white supremacy. Um, and that's definitely been the, the case over the years in certain groups. People have advocated their particular skin color as a natural right to, to rule over um, other people. You know, you look at you look at Hitler, right? He had his his single race that was supreme over all of the other races so that he didn't mind, uh, you know, a systematic termination of the Jews, for example, because he saw them as lesser because they were supreme. His race was supreme over, over the Jews. So that kind of attitude I think is generally is wrong. Um, because like going back to a previous question, we're, there's only one race. There's, there's the human race. So, um, so if someone specifically charged you with being a white supremacist, how would you answer that person? Yeah, so I would answer that um, f first and foremost that there is one race. I would go back to that point um, that there that I can't be a white supremacist because there is only I only believe that there's one one race. So there's not one race that rules over another one. Um, but I, I think it's also uh, the other response that I would have is that the uh the uh, accusation of being a white supremacist is regarding sin right we all have sin and the human nature is to rule over anybody else regardless of of race 
Um, and uh, that's a common human response that we all need to deal with. Yeah, and we actually that statement that is sin. an attempt to rule over you by lowering you into a category, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So would you uh, agree that um, people of all different ethnicities and skin colors can be uh, ethnically sinfully partial? Oh, yes, right? absolutely. So it's not uh, simply a uh, a white versus other no. uh, other issue. This is a humanity issue. Yeah, it's, it's across the board. It's a human condition problem. Good. Um, when it comes to the matters of social justice, um, how should the church treat them? Is this a fringe thing? Is this something that is a threat to the church? Well, what is your thinking on uh, that issue for the church? Well, I, I think it's a real issue. I think it can be used um, as a distraction to specifically um, some of the issues. Um, but it, it can be serious, especially if people believe um, some of the tenets of social justice, like the LB, LGBTQ agenda. Um, those can be very serious and they need to be addressed. Um, uh, they need to, they, those issues need to be addressed. Um, I think above all, uh, we need to maintain the unity of the faith. You know, Ephesians four talks about that, you know, above all, we need to maintain the unity. We, we don't, we don't want to split into factions, specifically racism into have having, you know, a Latino church or black church or white church. No, um, we should all come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and have no concern um, about our, uh, you know, perceived ethnic, um, uh, race, uh, backgrounds. Good. All right. Do you believe there's biblical economics? And if so, what would you say the core tenets of the biblical economics look like? I would say there is absolutely biblical economics. Um, the, the basic, I mean, it, I could probably talk about this for, for hours, um, but, but probably the basic core tenets of really any, you know, any economy is, is sound money. Um, in Proverbs 20, uh, verse 10, um, I think it talks about uh, some of the principles, one of the principles of sound money, which we don't have today. Um, chapter uh, Proverbs 10, uh, 20, verse 10, it says, diverse weights and measures, they are both alike um, an abomination to the Lord. So the problem is, is if you have a differing weight, a differing measure, you can't have consistency in value, right? Um, and that is one of the, the problems, especially today. You know, we have all this inflation and we've had inflation for a long time. Um, ironically enough, if you look at history, it started in 1913 when they started the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, so you have this um, inflation that, that robs you of stored wealth. If you have a savings account um, and you saved, you know, a uh, hundred bucks, wait 10 years, you know, that's going to be worth basically nothing. Um, the classic example is if you have an ounce of gold in the 1800s, you could buy a, a nice suit of it. Um, 
and if you have an ounce of gold today, you could still buy a nice suit. But the price, the dollar difference um, is dramatically different in terms of, of dollar amount. So one of the key tenets to biblical economics is you have to have sound money. If you don't have sound money, um, then your economic system is, is really um, in, in great peril. Um, the second thing um, is, is you have to have uh, agreements, ironclad agreements. Um, you know, when the Bible says, keep, you know, make your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, the idea behind it is that your word is your bond um, and you need to have um, consistent agreements. If you go into, you know, making a contract with somebody, um, thinking in the back of your, your mind that you're not going to keep it um, and you sign it anyway and the other person signs it and you end up not keeping it, um, that's a false agreement. That's, um, that's, that's uh, not what undergirds a good biblical economy. And probably the third major thing is uh, biblical justice. Um, and, and we'll talk about Romans 13 later, but uh, Romans 13, I think, is a key passage. It's really descriptive. It's not um, descriptive. A lot of people um, confuse that and think that uh, Paul was describing uh, the current governmental system um, but no, he was actually telling what government should look like. Um, that, you know, they should um, punish evil like, and reward good. Well, who defines good and evil? Well, it's, it's not them. Um, Paul is telling them what, what it is. Well, God describes what is good and what is evil. So I think those, those three things, um, sound money agreements and, and biblical justice, really undergird um, a strong biblical economy. Do you believe in uh, private property? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's another key one, right? The ability to own own things, I think is important. So uh, you would you would agree that socialism and communism are unchristian concepts? Oh, absolutely. I remember, you know, I've, I've read um, the Communist Manifesto um, a couple of times. Um, over the years, and and that's one of the key tenets is they want to they want to take all pro private property away from people and put it into the government and and but you'll be happy. Well, yeah, yeah, you'll be happy and you'll own nothing, right? Um, and and that's that, that's the interesting thing about um, the Communist Manifesto is they never they they talk about transferring all the property and all the wealth to the government, but they never talk about uh, what happens beyond that? And we've known in history, well, nothing happens beyond right. that, right? They, they, what they do is they just mass exterminate people. You know, in China, they estimate about 60 million people were killed. Um, um, Hitler, Germany, which is Nazi, which stands for National Socialism. It's a flavor of communism. Um, they killed, you know, at the minimum 10 million people. Um, Stalin killed minimum 20 million people. So um, you see you see this in history. It, it, the wealth never gets distributed to um, to the people. Yeah, it's it's really fair, isn't it? <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what they sell. They sell it on the 
they sell it with the words of justice and, yeah. and they communicate it in terms of a fair economy. Right. It sounds so good. Social People need justice. to pay like, their fair share. Cool. Right. Wow. Even capitalism, they paint as evil, right? Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> yep. We could, we could all talk I could about get wound up for on hours. That. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, are you familiar with, have you read the, uh, Dallas statement on social justice and, uh, what is your thoughts on that, uh, on that document? This is a, a, a more recent, um, kind of ecumenical document to seeking to, um, bring people together under a understanding of what the Bible teaches on social justice issue. Uh, yeah, I've read it. Um, I, I can't remember the details offhand, but I remember agreeing with it when I was reading it. Um, I, th I thought it was a good, um, solid statement about, um, about these issues, um, and what we're facing, um, today and, and cor correct biblical way to think about them. Yeah. And we, we both signed that Danny and I did. I, yeah. I, I think you beat too. me and then it didn't go in and you had to do it again. And yeah, can't, I've, can't I've had issues that. signing those things for yeah. whatever reason I, I signed I it and you. then I can't find my name. <laughs> <laughs> I found you. All right. Here's a curveball. What is a man? And what is a woman? Yeah, if we asked that question, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you know, people would look at you crazy. It's like, well, isn't that obvious, right? <laughs> isn't that an obvious question? But today it isn't. And, and I, I think um, what is critical, what we really need to understand is that it's determined that what is a man and a woman is determined. Well, it's determined by who? It's not determined by you. It's not determined by your self-identification. Uh, it's determined by God. Um, you are created male and female. And, uh, and I want to read these two verses. Um, one is a quotation of the other. In Genesis 5, um, verse 2, he says... Um, He's talking about uh, God creating um, Adam and Eve. And he said he created them male and female. He created them male and female. There's only two genders there. There's not, you know, what what's the last count? You know, 50 plus genders. No, there's only, there's only two. And it's God created them. God determined what their genders were. They didn't, they didn't determine their own genders. Well, that's their sex. Gender is a social construct, Brett. No, I don't think it is. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's one of the same. I there think you they, go. They've tried to separate the two, but um, it's it's really uh, one and the same. And 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 well, people will say, well, that's just Old Testament. Well, it's really not. So Jesus quotes it in Matthew nineteen verse four, and he and he answered and said to them, uh, Jesus is talking. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, made them male and female. So it's not just, uh, uh, you know, an Old Testament uh, uh, con uh, concern, um, but uh, Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. So we can't get away from this idea of, of um, God determining what is a man and God determining what is a woman. You cannot change it. So is the biology and so your, your material and immaterial self is is what determines your maleness and femaleness is it is it both things it, is because certainly some people will have uh will be male in their biology um but they may be seeking to express their um themselves their concept of self 
in uh, in the form of an opposite gender or or something wild and crazy beyond that, right? Or something imaginative. Um, would that be sinful? Was is that a is that a problem to express? I mean, maybe they don't deny their their sex as Jim identified, right? The 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 biology of what they were born with, but the expression of that is there is there a sinful way to express uh, your own sense of self and gender? Well, the problem is is in your question. You don't have your own sense of self. It's determined by God. So yes, your biology is a, you know foundational to that, but. Um, your spirit, your immaterial part should follow how God created you. He created you male. Your expressions should also be male. Um, you know, we have those examples in scripture talking about the effeminate man um, as, a, as a sinful thing, right? Um, and you cannot express, uh, you know, a womanly uh, expression. Okay. So good. Uh Clearly, though, there's the efforts in our culture, and we, we don't necessarily see it in, in our church, of course, but uh, in, in terms of an understanding of how we approach these subjects, the subject of pronouns, as a for instance, uh, how, what is your thought on the expectation in culture, in the workplace, um, all sorts of ways that uh, you are expected to respect and to use a person's uh, preferred pronouns. Um, what is your thought on that particular subject? Well, it's kind of going back to this question that we just that that I just answered. Like, you can't determine your sex, therefore you can't determine your pronouns either. I mean, there is male pronouns and there is female female pronouns, um, and they're singular, right? And you have to use the pronoun that you, that God created you with. Um, you can't switch pronouns because that, that's confusing. That doesn't make any sense. Um, so some, in, in personal interactions, would, how would you handle that? Would you, if someone, if, if that was the case, would you communicate or identify that you would not uh, agree to their terms of engagement in that way? Or how would you, uh, how would you approach that, I guess, in a personal situation where that is expected of you? I think first and, and foremost, you have to do it in a loving way, but I, I would not, I would not do it. Um, if people ask me to do that, um, I would politely decline to, to use their pronoun when it, when it's obviously, you know, the opposite. So, and, and kind of going on with that, it's this whole thing about they and them. It's like, no, I, I want to use they and them. Well, that. You know, I'm a language guy, right? It breaks down completely if you use a plural pronoun referring to a singular person. You just can't do that. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it makes communication extremely uh, confusing. Yeah, so where do you see this movement, this crazy transgender, we call it crazy, transgender LGBTQ? What's Where does it go? Where do you see it going, uh, not only in our country, but in the what I would call the universal church. <clears throat> well, the, I'll, I'll talk about the church first. It, the way I see it is it's going to go in two ways. I remember when, um, I'll go back a little bit. I remember when I, when Katie and I first got, got married, um, I, I was just, we were just talking and I said, wow, homosexuality is going to be a problem. You know, this was back in 2000. Um, 
and then lo and behold, you know, gay marriage happened, I think it was in 2015. Um, so you can see this trend and then you see it progressing right to, uh, this transgender thing. Um, so you see it get worse and worse and, um, and then you see the church, um, go into two, uh, into two camps. One is tolerance. Well, we want to tolerate everybody and, and every sin and every expression and everything. But I, I think there's a good warning um, for the in the churches um, in Revelation uh, two and three that um, if we tolerate sin, you know, long enough, God's going to remove the church's lampstand, um, the particular church's lampstand, and He identifies um, several churches there and gives them that warning, like, no, I'm gonna if you continue down this path, I'm gonna remove remove your lampstand, which is the blessing, which is really his presence among them. Um, and so you're going to start seeing that in, in various churches. You're going to start seeing an increase in tolerance. And then ultimately, um, God is going gonna, is gonna to remove his presence from them. And the second thing, on the other side, you're going to see tolerance on one side, but then you're going to see increasing persecution um, of churches in the, in, the other, um, in the other hand, whether it's um, through lawsuits or whether it's through, you know, protesting, um, whatever it is, you're going to see uh, vandalism and violence, vandalism yeah. and violence. Um, you know, you're going to see the, the pastor, you know, uh, denigrated, um, you know, at the very least on social media, if not in person, um, you know, uh, uh, beat up, um, those kind of things. Um, people, you know, blo blocking the church, you know, for Sunday services where people can't get in. So you're going to see an increasing amount of, of, of uh, persecution in the church, um, particularly in our country, is you're going to see increasingly uh, forms of deviance. You know, it was, it was, you know, going back in the day, it was, you know, it was uh, fornication where you weren't married, right? Um, and then it was, you know, homosexuality. And then this transgenderism and what's going to be next on the horizon horizon um you know polyandry um uh, you know uh, polymorphous uh, morphous uh, type of relationship and act actually um i know a girl personally um years ago that's in one of those relationships um so i i know it's happening um pedophilia is going to be um uh <sighs> acceptable in the culture and you can see that in various cultures where they've lowered the ages of um, the age of majority in terms of um, consensual sex um, and uh, you're going to keep seeing that so interesting i just read about a company that every day you go in you can choose to be male or female every day every morning you can click make your, make your choice today make huh? your choice i mean the insanity so <clears throat> yeah that's wild well, Brett, uh, moving on to kind of another area here, uh, how did you and, or how do you now, uh, so let me rephrase that because I want both perspectives. Uh, I want you to give us your perspective and of how things went in your mind, in your life, uh, your perspective during, uh, the government's actions in 2020 and 2021 in response to COVID-19 and perhaps, uh, tell us a little bit about in hindsight now, what, what have you learned 
um, if, if anything different uh, from that time? Well, if you want a wor- one word um, illustration of what, what the government did, I would say it's horrific. Um, it was completely, on one hand, it was completely unconstitutional. They had no lockdown provisions. Um, you know, I, I, I think the Constitution has enumerated powers, and there's no, you know, when I look at it, there's no lockdown provision about, um, uh, about unsick people, you know, um, being quarantined, things like that. And, and from a biblical perspective, it wasn't just constitutional, but it was also uh, sinful. Um, and it was, it was really, uh, you, you know, the best way that we understand, that I understand sin, uh, Joel Beakey, um just referenced this in um, uh, a devotion that we use uh, for family worship. Uh, he called it treason against God. And that's one of my favorite terms um, in English is, that sin is really treason against against the king of kings, um, against God, and and unfortunately, um, the all the governments, all the states, um, all the governors chose to um, to commit treason against God um, in a sinful way in terms of lockdowns. A um, couple of the key verses that that I that I go to um, uh, is in Leviticus thirteen forty six. Um, it says, uh, he shall be unclean all the days he was the sore. He shall, has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall dwell outside. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the problem was, is um, what that talks about is um, in in Israel, they did have a quarantine power. Um, uh, When people were sick, they would go in front of the priests and inspect them for leprosy. And if they had leprosy, if they were sick, right, they were sick, that's the key term, um, then they could quarantine them. But if they were not sick, then they could go back. And the problem with the lockdowns that happened is everybody was quarantined, whether they were sick or not. So public health and public safety is not necessarily outside of the bounds of, of government In a limited reach. fashion, yes. In a limited fashion. But you are, are you saying, though, that the, the, the issue is that they did, they, they have, having the authority... They misused it because they did not follow the biblical principle. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they completely mis- misused the principle. They, Like I said, they quarantined everybody. They locked down everybody. And did you have this view at that time? Was this something that you were... Uh, I had this view early on. This verse was shared with me. Yeah, Early on in COVID or yeah, early on in... Okay. Probably a month into it. A month into it. Two. Gotcha. So. gotcha. And then I think the other, the other key verse... Um, uh, is um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 6. Um, it says, um, No man shall take the lower or the upper millstone and pledge, for he takes one's living in pledge. In other words, you can't take the means of production away from a person. 
And that's what that's what unfortunately the government did. Essential they, versus non-essential. Essential versus non-essential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that was a a, a a big problem. I think is a a making that determination, and then b real thinking that the that they had authority over a person's livelihood. They didn't. They had no um, authority whatsoever um, over that. So, so given that kind of, what would your, what would your response, even in counseling somebody to be, you know, about the, the specifically the COVID like vaccine mandates and, you know, the need to have a a vaccine passport or, you know, even any of those things related to masking or, you know, work requirements, even how would you, how would you counsel somebody in that? So generally speaking, um, you know, should, should there be vaccine mandates? Of course there shouldn't be. Um, vaccine passports, of course there shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, religious exemptions, um, which is what you're getting at. Right. Um, yes, uh, to degree, although I don't think they should be necessary because I think we should be free. I don't think, um, your vaccine status is, is a uh, requirement for anything, um, because you're, (laughs) You're not sick, you know, you get a vaccine, um, you want to get a vaccine because, um, you want to, you, you think it'll protect you from getting sick. Right. But you're not sick. So there's really, there should be no really requirement for that. I remember walking through uh, a young man, um, what's it, what's interesting about vaccine man or, uh, religious exemptions was, I was walking through a young man, um, uh, trying to get a vaccine, uh, uh, or sorry, a religious exemption. And it was a long process. Um, but he eventually got it and we thought, Oh, cool. Like everything is good. No, the company put him on administrative leave without pay. So they effectively fired him, but without, you know, saying that he fired him. Um, so religious exemptions are, are a great thing. Um, but, but they're not, they should not be, they're not viewed as a panacea. Um, they, they shouldn't have to exist um, at all. So when it comes to this, um, this issue, uh, w- would you describe your understanding of Romans 13 and the role of government and really the role of the believer in response to a, a government that is not abiding by what Romans 13 describes the government's purposes. Yeah. Um, I talked a little bit about Romans 13 already. I'm going to flip to it and, and read some of the, the key parts. Um, uh, it says, uh, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God and right out of the gate, you know, God declares that, um, the people that are in authority are there because he said that, that he wanted them to be there. Um, and, and there is no authority from God. It's not just that the authorities are put in place, but there's no authority granted to them. Um, and, and what I, what I get out of that is that the authority that's granted to anybody in authority, whether it's civil magistrates, uh, magistrates or church authority, or even, even, uh, 
fathers in the homes it's it's all limited authority and it's delegated authority by god um so it's there's no unlimited human authority at all only god has unlimited authority um it says therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of god and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil uh do you so uh so you have good and evil there well again like i said before who defines what good and evil is well it's not them it's it's what god has said um, skipping down to verse four he says for he is god's minister for you are good it's it's very interesting that um god says that they're a minister they're a servant of him um, they need to do what is authorized them to do and they need to walk um, in that in that limited authority um, that he gives them um, the other thing uh, to keep in mind let me find my notes on that um, is um, it, it's limited to to their power of punishing evil you know all these government programs that that exist today in america all this stuff like you know department of education the you know all this all these facets of government that they all do you know uh free internet free phones uh you know uh food stamps all these programs um it, they're they're way outside of their authority structure that god has given them to be they're they're to be ministers of god they're to be servants of god and what is their primary purpose well it's to punish evil um and that's not what they're doing with these programs at all they have nothing to do with punishing evil um it's really a redistribution of wealth scheme um that they're that they're that they're trying to do and the uh, to get to your question about um what christians should do is yeah government is going outside of their authority um they don't they don't have the authority to do that um so you know we can you know legitimately not keep those requirements but what's what what happens right if you don't keep those things um they throw you in jail and then you can't provide for your family um you can't do the great commission right especially if they throw you in, in solitary um and those are the higher uh principles that we need to keep in mind you know great commission uh taking care of our families um being involved in the church it's it's easy to do these things that we don't agree with right um then just do them right taxation is always a big thing it's like okay so you know i think before reagan was president the top rate was 70 percent. i don't know what the top rate is now i mean that's a lot of money right if you get your uh taxation principles from scripture um they said that 10 percent was like oppressive under the uh, kingship in israel so 70 percent is like crazy um so uh what if what happens if you don't pay your taxes right 
you get thrown in jail, right? What did Jesus do about paying taxes? Um, he got a coin out of a fish. So he's obviously going to give you the means to pay your taxes. Well, why? Because obviously he had the, a greater responsibility of ministering to people. Um, his concern was, oh, I'm not going to pay my taxes. No, he willingly paid it. I don't, he didn't care. Um, and that's what we, that's what our attitude should be to do today is, um, you know. Well, I want to press that a little bit further. Um, I, I, I hear you on the, on the taxes one, cause we certainly have that, that biblical example there, but, uh, similarly in terms of whether it's the, the vaccine mandate, there's those elements of conscience, those elements of, uh, recognizing that the government doesn't have authority that they have claimed to themselves. And you identified that there is, um, I think you identified there's legitimacy in being able to resist or to uh, not be required uh, to uh, obey them when they are outside of, sure. their, of their lane. Right. But you were just talking about the idea of, of just, um, you know, you should submit and do what they ask you to do, even though it's unconstitutional and, and so forth. Uh, if, for, for instance, it means not taking care of your family. And certainly in uh, we, in some respect, we wouldn't have a country at all if people said, uh, my life is at risk, I might not be able to provide for my family. And they, they were willing to risk their fortunes, their lives to, um, uh, to fight against a tyrant in, uh, in King George and, and those types of things. And so um, that might lead into another question. But in terms of your, your perspective, whether it's personally or whether it's in, in, especially what we want to hear is your perspective in shepherding is, are, are you saying that, that there is an obligation because of the greater um, duties of evangelism and providing for your family that, um, for instance, you should, if they, if you're being mandated to take the vaccine and if not, then you're going to lose your job or et cetera, that that would be necessary for a person to do that because they have to provide for their family. And if that's, if that's threatened then they should just, um, abide by that. I'm just trying to feel out where you're, where you're coming yeah, from on my, what you just said. My preference is not to deal in theoretical scenarios okay. because there's always a way out. No, I should say not always. There's usually a way out. Um, you know, if, if you're in a, that was your idea of the religious exemption, right? Helping somebody with right. religious exemption okay. is another thing. Um, uh, one person that I thought of, um, that faced this, you know, get a vaccine or basically get fired. Um, he got another job. Um, so I think there's situations, there's always a way out, um, of doing that. Um, now if it comes down to it, you know, if they, you know, strap me down and, and, you know, have a gun to my head and, and force me to take a vaccine, um, uh, otherwise my family's going to starve. Of course I'm going to take the vaccine. I mean, of course. Right. Um, you know, and God will, um, preserve me or not if it's dangerous or not. Um, I, I don't think that's a factor, uh, that we should keep in mind. I, th so. I think I get what you're coming, where you're coming from in terms of that element of, of 
for instance, taking the vaccine by itself wouldn't is not a sinful thing, right? No, so, it's it's really uh, you know going to the vaccine uh, question. It's really uh, a con a conscious issue, like a con conscious conscience. Your conscience, uh, conscience. Thank you. Um, issue uh, whether you take the vaccine or not, um, and you know there's vaccines in general are very complicated uh, topic. Mm -hmm. Um, the COVID vaccine, um, is, uh, complicated in the sense that we really didn't know, um, a lot what was going on, you know, it was under an emergency use authorization. Um, you know, it didn't go through the normal, uh, I think it was seven to 10 years of vetting, um, you know, trials and R and D and all that stuff. It was, it was done pretty quick, um, without that, um safety check and, and, you know, keeping in mind. So, um, so you're really, you're really highlighting the more of an individual, um, freedom element in it. Is that what you, was that, is that fair that you, oh, absolutely. that you can resist, but you can take it. It's going to be dependent upon your, absolutely your convictions and, and your conscience and your right to make the decision, especially because the government is outside its lane. You, you're right. not obligated to it, but you can, submit to it sure. if, if that's the choice you've come to. Right. And I've known people on both sides of this equation. Um, yeah, or not. So if, if you chose to take it because they strapped you down and you needed to provide for your family, you you said you absolutely would. And if if I chose to, to go to death, if if they executed me, then what would that look like for my family? Like, would it be, you know, Jim Sind? Kind of what, what, what would that look like? That's a good question. I, I, um, if you really thought that whatever vaccine was going to kill you and you refused to take it, um, and you were killed in, in, you know, instead, um, then, then I don't think that's an issue. If you're just scrappy and you don't want to take a vaccine just because you don't want to take a vaccine and, you don't have really any thoughts about the vaccine. You're just ornery. Yeah, that that's probably a sinful attitude. Um, so I think it just depends on how you... What if I didn't think it was going to kill me? I just thought the government was completely outside of their authority and forcing me to take it. And I chose to go to death. These are tough questions. They're yeah. good though. That's a tough question. Um, again, I, I really don't like getting into theoretical scenarios so i'll paint a different one this this moves us into the next question which is your view of the different authorities you talked about them so you've got you talked about government and church and even family and so how do they interact how do they interplay we talk about sphere sovereignty or sphere authority that's that's a way to think about it and in in answering this same question with a different scenario i'll paint a different scenario for you brett if the california government can if a 12 year old can divorce his family by leaving the house because he doesn't like his father's discipline and become a ward of the state when they come to take your child how do you handle that situation uh, my advice to their to that parents is get out before that happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and i think that's that's part of how do you discern the different authorities and how do they interact and how do you decide what's best yeah, for your family? Yeah, there is, uh, going back to this severe sovereignty, I mean, the three main categories are family, church, and state. Some people tack on uh, work and school. 
Um, I really think they're part of family, but some some people have them as separate. The big spheres. one I include is individual. Yeah, I have an individual sphere before God and my conscience. Right. So. Um. Yeah. So. Um. I forgot the question. So they come to take your kid. Oh. Uh. I. I. I would not let them take my kid to death. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, and, and that issue of, um, I, I want to come back to that sphere of sovereignty. You identified the three main ones. Uh, would you would you acknowledge or would you identify the individual having a um, a personal responsibility before God in terms of, of being one in that, in that area? In other words, having an individual um, dignity and a sense of autonomy. Not, it's not total autonomy. We would never identify uh, human beings with total autonomy. That's, that's why you have other spheres of authority. Uh, but would you identify the individual or would you not identify the individual in that in that realm of spheres? Um, I kind of put uh, individual in family. It's all the same sphere to me. Okay. Um, I mean, there is obviously a separate jurisdiction, if you will, about um, the individual, although they're not autonomous, right? They're under God's authority always. But we each have an... It, we each give an account individually to right. God for ourselves, right. and so we're all be, all of us are always under authority. And even if we're on a desert island by ourselves, still uh, we're authority. still under authority. That's right. under God's exactly. authority. But ultimately, there's an individual aspect to that. You would, you would agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, and to go to the interplay of how the how the spheres work, I think there's some overlap in those spheres. Um, you know, if there's a, a criminal element that happens in the home, that just doesn't, doesn't stay in the home. The father can't uh, cover it up, right? They have to go to the civil magistrate. I mean, they have to. Like, you don't have an option um, to do that if it's criminal, if it's truly criminal. Um, also, yeah, it's legitimate if the church gets involved in that, too. Um, in terms of, you know, an ultimate, uh, you know, church discipline case. Um, so I think there's definitely an overlap um, in those issues. Um, there is, uh, people accuse the church a lot of times of covering up certain sins. And unfortunately, that happens more than it should. Um, and it's because they uh, don't apply their, the correct understanding of authority. Again, if there's criminality that the church uh, uh, uncovers, they don't have the option like, oh, we sh should we go to the civil magistrate or not? No, that you have to go to the civil magistrate. You have to tell them because they are the ones that wield the sword, according to Romans 13. They do the, the real punishment. Um, the church does church discipline, of course, but there's no uh, punitive uh, punishment in that. Would you caveat that based on uh, that criminal law being just before God? If, if it's an unjust law. When I say criminal, I mean, according to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you didn't pay your taxes, right, you could have individuals that have the perspective on that. So, oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Just as an example. And I, I've known some people. Right. So. 
Well, very good. Well, this has been uh, really helpful to go through this with you, Brett. Appreciate your time that you have given to us through this. We have more questions for you. Uh, we are not done, but we are done for today. That's all the time that we have for truth today. So we want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth.